All right, Brian. So after postseason pintail banding, what do you guys go into? So we kind of, you know, our, our program, we basically are following what the birds are doing. And so postseason, we've got a lot of birds that are in the valley, but the, a lot of them are going to leave really soon, right? So February, March, April, most of the migrate, migrating birds have left, and we're left with kind of our local birds. And so that's when we kind of transition into nesting season. And so we'll, um, you know, February, March, April is where, where we really start promoting the wood duck program, kind of getting okay. the boxes ready, getting them ready for nesting season. Yeah. Um, and then like um, April, May is when the mallards and, you know, the more local birds are going to start nesting. Um, and so we've got a lot of new nesting programs. Yeah, Jason so like we, we're going to wood duck, like Brian said, egg salvage, wheat, rice, levy program, and then we also have the fallow, fallow ag program, um, which is basically for fields that don't get planted during the growing season. Um, we let those – we pay farmers. It's still a bid program because it's a new program. We're, we're trying to see what the farmers want to be paid for those this type of deal. But, and this um, is in partner with – Department with of Fishing Game. Department of Fishing Fish Game. And, and, so that, and these farmers are bidding on, hey, I would like this much money to not plant my field and leave it for nesting cover. That, yeah, I mean, that not plant it or let the weeds grow because it's advantageous for them to manage their weeds because okay. that's less seed, weed seeds in their field for the next growing season. Gotcha. And so, again, just tell us what you want. Yeah. If it's super high, obviously we won't fund you. But if it's a reasonable amount that you know falls within – a certain amount of the other bids will fund you guys okay and then um a lot of that too is also cover crops so um there's a huge push there's been a huge push going to organic farming i mean you see it in the grocery stores half of the produce section is organic and so that means they can't use herbicides pesticides certain types of fertilizer stuff like that and so what they'll do is plant cover crops which improve soil health so just having a living root in the soil increase the, increases the microbial activity in that soil by like 10,000 or something crazy. Wow. And then a lot of those plants also fix nitrogen in the soil, so that's less money that these farmers have to spend on chicken manure and stuff. That's really expensive to fertilize their fields to get their crops to grow well. So a lot of these guys will plant vetch is a good one. Beans is another one that fix the fertilizer into the soil themselves as part of a, a rotation through and this field. is this is all habitat nesting right. habitat. So ducks love vetch. It's okay. it's it's entangled, thick, gnarly, dense nesting habitat. Again, grown next to rice fields with good brood habitat. Grown next to wetlands, stuff like that. And so uh, we have that that fallow ag program that uh, farmers can apply for. And the fallow ag, the wheat program, and the rice levy program are now all funded through California Department of Fish and Wildlife via the nesting bird habitat incentive program which mm -hmm. is that i believe is ten dollar surcharge you guys saw on your upland your stamp, upland stamp. Yeah. yeah um so all, a lot of that money is going to improving habitat to improve our local okay so population. so those monies are going back into yeah. improving as much habitat. as people like to think that like that money is going to waste no a lot of the funding that me and brian get for pintail trapping mallard banding uh, nesting programs, a lot of that comes from duck stamp okay, money. Very, so, yeah, that's great. That's yeah. great information because a lot of people don't know where that money goes to. Yeah, and a lot of people have been, you know, noticed that $10 increase. Yeah, right? no, it's a like, big increase on a twenty on? on a like, $20 this is you know, where validation. That, that, that increase is going. So, like, yeah. in the future years, the, the goal is to fund these types of fields for local nesting birds. Um, and that's that's where that fund, that extra 10 bucks is going. Okay. And so it's a... Yeah. 
guaranteed source pretty much every year. I think it would. Right now, I mean, our enrollment's low. It's a new program. Farmers are feeling it out. I mean, their livelihoods are on the line when they enroll for something. like I mean, rice is paying. This past growing season, rice was the highest it's ever been. And wow. so they were making a lot of money off it if they had the water to to, mm-hmm. to grow during the drought. But yeah. I mean, they're putting their livelihoods on the line to enroll in one of our programs. So a lot of them are still kind of feeling it out, making sure the program's legit, making sure that it's easy to participate in. You know, that we're not doing anything drastic to their farming practice, stuff like that. So we hope to build our our uh, enrollment through the years and hopefully get enough you know, habitat on the ground to really make a big difference. Do you think we'll population. see more farmers enroll as the program um, ages? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yep. Word, word of mouth, I think, is big with farmers. They all talk to each other. I guess sometimes it's funny, like, they all seem to relate. Oh, yeah, I know him. He's my cousin, and this is my yeah, uncle and all yeah. that. So word of it's mouth. A small is, community. Yeah, <laughs> word of mouth is huge. So hopefully yeah. uh, we can get a good reputation with all these programs, and everybody wants to apply, and we can get a lot of habitat on the ground. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so once um, once nesting season kind of simmers down, and yeah. that's uh, July, late July, mid July, yeah. kind of pretty much most of the nesting in the state's done. Um, we kind of transition into our summer mallard banding, and so we work closely with uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, State Department of Fish and Wildlife, and we we're actually contracting. We try and catch a thousand mallards every summer, and so we're targeting kind of local California mallards during that time period. And depending on the habitat conditions, we sometimes will go to the grasslands in June. Usually the grasslands is a little earlier, and we're not getting a lot of adults down there. But mm-hmm. if there's a good production year down there, we'll pick up a lot of the juveniles down there in June. And and just just talking, being local, like if those birds are down there in June and you're, you're, you're banding them, those are going to be considered local mallards. Yes. Correct? Yeah. So most, uh, most of the birds that are going to migrate have already left by uh, February, March. Okay. Sometimes they'll linger into April. Um, mm-hmm. You probably noticed on the the bird surveys this year, the breeding pair counts, there was a lot of shovelers, widgeon, birds that don't breed in California. So those numbers are kind of deceiving on the increase of breeding birds in California because most of those birds actually aren't breeding here. They just stayed a little longer with the wet spring that we had, right? So um, we transitioned into our local birds. And like I said, we'll be in the grasslands some years in June. And then usually July, August, we'll kind of start – moving farther north. So sometimes if the habitat's right, we'll be in the Sacramento Valley. Um, to last year, the water conditions were so bad, we actually had to go all the way up to Oregon to start wow. catching birds. Um, but generally, you know, if Tule Lake summer, Tule Lake has water and Lower Klamath have water, that provides ton of molting habitat. So our goal for the summer banding is to catch molting adult mallards and the local hatchier birds that just hatched, right? So the, our problem this year is we went out banding at um, – Lower Klamath, and mm-hmm. we saw so many young birds that were too small to band, which and is what great. What do you mean too small to band? So the bird has to be a certain size before it can actually hold the band, or it'll just fall off of its foot. Okay. So if you you know if you band a duckling to fit the duckling's leg, it's yeah, going to yeah. grow and it's not going to fit on the bird when it's an adult, right? So you have to wait till their legs developed enough where it'll fit a band on there. So it's good and bad news. We had ducklings, the but we couldn't band them. The production in northeastern California this year was phenomenal. I mean, I, I did a giant scouting loop across whole northeastern, all the refuges um, from Honey Lake, Ash Creek, um, Tule Lake, Lower Klamath, and the production was phenomenal this year. Um, but the, the habitat conditions got worse as the summer started and moved on, right? So Lower Klamath lost a lot of the water, but fortunately Sump 1B at Tule Lake had a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so in those years, we run up and we'll actually do night lighting. 
And uh, so when we're doing the grasslands or upper view, uh, sack refuge or uh, sack valley banding, we're using funnel traps. And that's basically the best way to describe it is kind of a minnow trap for ducks. You know, there's a funnel, you bait the funnel, the birds swim in there and then they can't figure out how to get out. So it yeah. works really well on young birds and then molting birds, birds that can't um, fly, right? So, um, and then during the summer, we'll also do night lighting. So if you have a big unit, uh, some point B, some of those units up until Lake Klamath have big units of water when they have water. And we'll actually go out um, at night in airboats and we'll drive around at night with a spotlight and you can kind of shine it on the bird and it kind of stuns them. And then you can drive up on the boat and scoop them up with a net. Okay. In a and and they don't it. fly away or anything like that? Well, they that? can't fly, right, most oh, of the time because they're true. molting or they're younger birds. And so that's kind of what effective method to catch them during that period. I mean, we've had nights where we've caught 800 birds wow. in one night. Wow. So it's a very efficient way to catch We those. did 1,019 at Summer Lake last yeah. year. Jeez. Yeah, big crew, but we yeah. it's re- it's surprisingly effective. And it's crazy. Like, you think you fire these big, loud V8 airboats with no mufflers on them. They're super loud, and, like, you could hear them from miles away out there running around. You think, like, as soon as one of those fires up, every duck's going to run to the bushes and hides. But, like, it's better a lot of times as the night goes on and the moon goes down. The birds, it just, like, scares them out of the, the tulies, and they're just out in the middle. And, yeah, most of the birds you're catching are flightless, but on a good night with no moon, you can catch a lot of flighted birds as yeah. well. It's really effective. Awesome. It's surprising. And so that's kind of our summer banding project, and then we transition right into where we're at right now, which is the preseason pintail banding. So, so, I mean, you guys basically banned from, you know, end of regular season all the way up until right before the season starts. Yeah, more or less. I mean, I'd say we ban like February, March. We get a little bit of break, April, May, and then we start again in June, July, August, September, October. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then uh, duck season comes around, and that's when we get to get out and uh, actually go hunt and catch up on our paperwork. <laughs> yeah. So well, who's the better hunter? Define better hunter. <laughs> <laughs> who who gets to harvest the both I think birds? we've both been hunting the same amount of time, roughly. Yeah. yeah and we both hunted together. We're both good duck callers, good goose caller. Yeah. I mean, it, some days you shoot good. Some it days it you depends don't. on who has better access during that day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, some days I have a better spot. Some days his spot's better. Yeah. One thing we didn't talk about though, as far as like banding throughout the year goes, is like the kids camps. Yeah, the the kids camps. Yeah. Yeah. So so one of the things that I'm a part of being in the hunt program is the summer kids camps, and we run. This year, I think we ran four or five weekend camps uh, at Grizzly Ranch, and one of the activities that we do is uh, duck banding, and we will have Jason or somebody else that is working for the waterfowl program at the time come in and band egg salvage ducks for the kids, show them how to band. They get a band and release those ducks. And I will tell you, it is one of the most looked forward to events that we have the whole weekend, you know, the kids are always asking, what are we doing today? What are we doing today? What are we doing today? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, we're going to go shoot rifles and we're going to learn hunter ed and then we're going to go band ducks. They go, band ducks? They're like, alive ducks? I'm like, yeah, they're, of course they're alive ducks. They're baby ducks. And they, they get all excited. So uh, we get them out there and then kind of hand them off to Jason or whoever else is there and they get to explain what the process is and, and where these ducks came from and what the band significat signifi- signifies signifies I can't speak signifies <laughs> that's me too signifies um, for the ducks you know the social security number that you're talking about and it 
kind of really brings them full circle for our hunter ed and what we're doing to help waterfowl and wetlands. And I think, I don't know, me personally, seeing those kids and seeing how excited they get to handle those ducks and put the bands on them. And it might just be, you know, a 10-year-old kid being excited to hold a live animal. But I think it really sticks into them that this is something important and this is something that, you know, hey, my dad or me later on can go potentially harvest this duck that has this band and I put the band on it. And and it's it's something that really resonates with these kids to show them what we're doing as Jason's job with the egg salvage. Like these, these ducks that we are bringing came from, you know, milk cartons that were salvaged in an egg uh, facility to be hatched, to be brought to Grizzly Ranch and then release. It's, it's, yeah. it's an amazing full circle moment. I yeah. mean, I got to see that firsthand when I helped. Yeah, you got to do it. You got to <laughs> yeah. band one and release one. Yeah. I mean, it was cool to kind of see that full circle moment and like all the kids are like, what are you going to name your, your duck? What am I, you know, yeah, they, they so get they, so excited about it. Yeah. And then they, you know, they get to release it and then they see them all like huddled together and then they're like still learning because they're so curious about this thing that they just named and they got to do, <laughs> yeah, you know, they personalize it as much as they can. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's one of the huge benefits. Of the egg salvage program is like all the other programs we talked about. I mean, we have volunteers out, but that's the one program where you can take any kid from anywhere, any background and get them out, and put their hands on a bird because you don't need waiters. You don't got to be up at, you know, five in the morning fighting mosquitoes. I mean, it's just, the birds are in a hatchery. I mean, for those who don't know, we bring the eggs from the farm fields to a hatchery. They they go into incubators. They get hatched. So these kids, a lot of times when they show up, there's birds hatching out of the eggs. They love that. The hatchery manager is typically in there with them. They do what's called candling an egg. They get to you know stick a flashlight up to the egg, and you can see the embryo moving around. Or a lot of times it's almost it's a duckling fully developed, almost ready to hatch. So you can see them pecking at the egg shell. They get to see all that. And then we take them out to the pens, and they get to put their hands on a live duckling, stick the band on it, and then take them back out to habitat, yeah. which is typically you know something they don't ever get to see. Yeah, real, I, th- I think that that animal. ability for those young kids to put their hands on a live animal that has significance in some sort, you know, <coughs> we try to imprint it on them that like this duck that you're holding right now was once in an agricultural field and we saved this egg and it's now in your hand and you're releasing it back into the wild. And I believe I could be wrong. Some of the stories that we've had from these egg salvage birds have been all over the country. (coughs) We recovered egg salvage birds from Arkansas. I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm not, uh, we, I do the, the annual ban report every year. So like, you know, a little way for me to get back to the hatcheries is to kind of sort through our banding data, sort out all the egg salvage birds that were returned, and then separate them into which hatcheries they came from, and then you know give it to the hatchery managers. Like, hey, look, these are all the birds that you got. We banded at your hatchery that have been returned this past duck season. Yeah, here's where they came from, and yeah, we get them from British Columbia. I think Illinois is one of them. Mont- we get several <coughs> birds from Montana for whatever reason. Yeah. So even though these birds are being you know born in a pen in South of Chico in a cement pen that we can, you know, fledge them to where they need to be, bring them to our Grizzly Ranch facility or another facility, 
have a young child handle them, ban them, they might end up, you know, on somebody's duck strap across the country. And that's that's a testament to how efficient this is. And whether it's yeah. one of these ducks or all of the ducks, like one is is great, you know? Yeah. You saved that duck from that field. Whether it's one or a hundred, it's 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 a win no matter what. Yeah. I mean it it also allows, you know, you guys as hunters or anyone as a hunter or a conservationist or anything to allow you putting that animal back out there, allow someone else to hunt it. And then, so it's not so much as consuming, consuming, consuming. Yeah. It's okay. No, we're also going to put yeah, that, it back. That's and, a big misconception. Uh, we get, especially the egg salvage program is like, Oh, you're just stocking your properties and yeah, putting birds yeah. out there. Well, so we have, you know, three hatcheries, North Delta Rancho and district 10, I mean, the numbers vary, but on average, 2,500, 3,000 birds get put out a year. And we release them into the best habitat possible, whether that's someone's duck club, whether that's their private lake up in the foothills, a rice field that a farmer owns who let me search their field earlier in the year to, to get those eggs. We try to put them in the best habitat possible. And, yes, they are raised in pens, and they didn't have a mom to show them, you know, you probably shouldn't stand on the road. There's a hawk that's good looking around to get you, or <laughs> yeah. a coyote's going to run out and snatch you. So you do get um, a higher mortality when you do release the birds. Their, their survival is really good inside the pens, obviously. They're yeah. in a controlled environment, food, water, always. Nothing can get to them. But once you release them, it's Mother Nature. Yeah. But I, I did – We've done some comparisons as to, like, once they make it to duck season, because obviously you can't really tell their survival on a banded bird during the summer period. So we release them in, say, June. You don't know what's happening to them until the opening day of duck season, right? A a hawk or coyote is not going to go on the BBL's website (laughs) and and type in their information. Yeah, yeah. so you don't know how (laughs) many of them are going to But of the, you know, comparing egg salvage ducklings that we release to wild ducklings that we banded night lighting or swimming traps once they make it to that first duck season their survival is pretty similar yeah. so they yeah. they reincorporate back into the wild which, population which, which is amazing and, and and that goes back to the point it's like you know whether you save one or a hundred those eggs that you guys are taking are if you didn't do the program that you're doing would be tilled under and would become yeah. part of the ag field yeah. and so and we've recapped hens on nests that have egg salvage bands on them. So they were from our egg salvage program. USGS has recapped hens and grizzly. We've caught egg salvage hens while we're night lighting up in, uh, or egg salvage ducks in general while we're night lighting up in Klamath and Tule Lake. That's just a testament to the success of the program. It's all it is. I mean, hands down, there's, there's no way around it. Speaking of, you know, our wood ducks and their population and their nesting, I mean, there's obviously outside of wood ducks, the other birds, the other ducks. And I think, Jason, this is kind of a question more geared to you. Um, what are some of the ways that maybe farmers can help as far as the wild duck population in that aspect? How can they help and get involved in that process? Yeah, so our local mallard population is kind of suffering from the same problems the wood ducks were suffering from. It's just loss of habitat and changes in land use and stuff. And so we've lost... Drought. Drought, yeah, drought. That hasn't helped the last three years. Luckily, we had a wet spring. Um, But, yeah, these birds have lost a lot of their natural wetlands and upland nesting habitat. 
And so they resorted to nesting a farm field, which is really good habitat from their point of view. And it, I mean, in reality, it is because it's thick, dense. You know, it's pl- professionally planted by farmers who know what Very they're doing. Protected. Yes, it's super thick, even nice nesting cover, and it's planted a lot of times these these nesting fields, wheat, alfalfa, vetch, stuff like that, planted next to rice, which has water all summer long, and also a lot of cover on it, a lot of bugs and stuff. So it's great for brood rearing, for these hens to take their ducklings to and, and rear them until they're flighted. Um, but obviously, like I said, loss of habitat, change of land use um, has, you know, decreased our mallard population over the last couple of decades. Um, and so in 2014, CWA took on the egg salvage program. Uh, a lot of people know that story, but basically it's a program that just helps these farmers get the eggs out of their fields to a hatchery. So in, in Egg salvage has been going on for decades, but beforehand it was the farmer's responsibility to make sure that he or one of his workers got off the tractor or found the nest. And then at the end of the day, they've been working 15 hours straight. They got to drive it, you know, 30, 40 minutes away to a hatchery. And, you know, with the way the economy is going, time is money. (laughs) I mean, all this stuff. A lot of guys don't want to deal with the stupid duck nest anymore, you know, when they've been working that much long of hours that many days in a row. So CWA has kind of stepped in. And for egg salvage, it's really two things we provide. One is if you find a nest, we can run out and grab it from you and take it to the hatchery. You can leave it on a tractor. All it is is one text, one phone call to myself, and it's off of your hands. Just yeah. leave it at the corner of the field, leave it on your tractor, it's gone. The other one is if you got a field and you see a bunch of birds flying over it and you think there might be a nest or two in there, you can give me a call as well, and we'll get in there a day or two before you diss the field or mow it or whatever, and we'll sweep it with quads and ropes, flush the hens, find the eggs. That way you don't have to worry about disking a nest into the ground or getting off the, the tractor every time you flush a hen looking for the nest. We'll, we'll get that done before you get in the field. And then um, recently we've kind of started some nesting programs which actually pay farmers to do more uh, duck-friendly practices. So the first one was the wheat program. And wheat's probably the most attractive to to locally nesting mallards it's the right height the right density it's green at the right time of year i mean it's just everything a duck would want planted next to rice a lot of the times and so a lot of ducks will nest in the wheat in the sacramento valley so we'll pay them 50 bucks an acre to delay their harvest until july 15th and that's, that's typically bad. yeah that's <laughs> and all they're doing is just not harvesting for a couple extra weeks but it's not affecting their overall harvest it, it does a little bit i mean you get a little more weeds in the field a little increased fire hazard stuff like this, but a lot of times the farmers see that as like, okay, I'm putting a little cash in my pocket and I'm doing something positive for the wildlife. Yeah, it's, it's I'm gonna win. enroll the with field. A, with a little bit of a risk, you gotta win. Yeah, yep, so they enroll and you just basically don't harvest until July 15th. After that, you're free to do as you wish. And uh, basically 99% of the birds are done nesting by then, they got their brood out And are there. we talking all mallards that are doing these? Mallards, gadwall, cinnamon teal, okay. mallards are, 90 percent of them in the sacramento valley but gotcha. yep um and then we also have then um two new programs the rice levy program and so um back in 1994 cwa did a study where they they searched these rice levies in these fields um that had vegetation growing on them and i think one field produced 1400 ducklings wow just on the nests that were nesting on the rice checks like where you have your duck blind yeah there's hens that nest on those and um that one field produced 1,400 ducklings. And so we started talking like, well, let's let's try a program. Well, the problem with rice fields is that typically um, 
those levees are reconstructed right before they flood the field to plant. So you're looking yeah, at they, April or May, and that's right to start a nesting season. So these hens who want good cover to nest in, all they have is bare checks, yeah. right? And so we're like, well, we'll pay them. I mean, this year and last year, well, this year we this growing season is the first year of the program, and we are opening enrollment in five days for the next growing season. But right now we're leaving it as a big program because it's hard to really gauge what you know kind of costs it costs the farmers to le- to either ridge those checks before January first or leave them from the previous growing season. And so you're looking at some water control issues. Obviously the checks can be weathered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's hard to control water. They have a lot of pests on them, and the brush on those checks can harbor a lot of uh, eggs and stuff for insects that can then bloom during growing season and affect the rice fields. So we're leaving it as an open bid, um, and then obviously if we get bids that are way too high, we won't fund them, um, but we didn't have that issue last year. And so basically, farmers can tell us what they want, apply for the program, and then they either have to reconstruct their levees before January 1st or don't touch them at all, leave the vegetation on there, and then come you know April, May, June when these birds want to nest, there's ample vegetation. On the fields that were enrolled this year, I was out there searching them. It was neck tall. Some of it was overhead. And that was in end of May. Are we are we seeing nests already yeah, on these? Yeah, we found okay, nests. Okay, so on. so automatically we're seeing yes. nests coming on. Yep, this. yep. No, it's it's a proven uh, nesting habitat for sure. So, because what's the I mean, what's the unfortunate reality? Say if you aren't, if both of you aren't, you know, doing your job as biologists and doing these programs. I mean, will ducks just naturally decline? I, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, they're wild animals. They're going to our, – our local nesting birds are declining, but these birds have wings and they can fly thousands of miles. <laughs> so if habitat's not good in one area, they can move to another one. Right. We're just trying to help our local population along because it had been so strong in the past. I mean, California was one of the number one mallard shooting states in the country. Yeah. I mean, we had at one point almost 600,000 mallards breeding in California. So we're just trying to get numbers back up to where we want them. And the only way to do that is to put habitat on the ground. Um, so, I, Mallory, if we if we quit these programs and me and Brian quit, yeah. and went and been went tuna fishing for the rest of our lives. <laughs> uh, Who's a better fisherman, you or him? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, tuna. Jason's uh, a better fisherman. Okay, I'll, I'll give him credit when credit's due. <laughs> there but you when go. Salmon was, comes in the picture. River river fishing. He's yeah. all day long. He's, he's gotcha. a river guy. Yep. Ocean. I'll probably take that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So we're. I mean, if we quit our jobs today, the mall- find a place. Mallards wouldn't go extinct, but yeah. we're trying to increase the populations. And yeah. I mean, you got to do what's right. This is what the egg salvage program is built on. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of. I mean, we release two to three thousand ducklings a year from that program. Is that supplementing the whole Pacific Flyway with mallards? Absolutely not. Is it the right thing to do to rescue all those nests out of those farm fields before a yeah. tractor gets to them? Absolutely. I would agree, so. yes. It's nice to at least have the boxes because who knows? Maybe those little ducklings stay right there and they grow up and they're like, this looks perfect for me. I yeah. mean, you just don't, <laughs> don't even know. jump 40 feet anymore. <laughs> yeah. This is good. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we've touched a lot on all the different areas of ducks. I mean, what does kind of the duck population and all the different species what a what is it kind of look what are we looking at you know as far as things going forward you know wood ducks where are we looking at how are pintails i mean what are some good good what's the research telling us yeah yeah so our local mallards are struggling i think um, i got my notes they're down 38 percent from the long-term average okay um but 
you know, a lot of these populations are based on habitat conditions and we've been in the, what, three year drought the yep. last three years. Yeah. And that was brutal on our local populations. So it's not like these birds are just dying, right? They're moving farther north to find better habitat conditions. So um, when we saw those low numbers in California, we saw high numbers in Alaska, right? So okay. it, it kind of sometimes shifts. But overall, when you have dry um, winters, you know, you're not going to have very big production that next year. So like yeah. last year, we had a very wet winter. We had even a wet spring. So that's going to translate into high production this year. So even though our numbers are still low, the production should be very well. And that's California, um, Oregon, I'd imagine, is going to be good too. And then even the prairie potholes. So the prairie pothole region is kind and of the these main. These numbers we're getting are from surveys that are flown at the same spot, same time every year. So if these birds shift out of a survey region, then you're not really getting an accurate count too. So, I mean, people see low numbers and stuff. And a lot of times, oh, no, those birds are way down. <laughs> I mean, be a terrible season. Yeah, yeah. The season's 100% weather dependent. But um, at, a lot of times, these birds are just in areas where we're not looking. So it, it, it's science, but it's not exact science. It is science. I mean, yeah, so the, there's, there's no other way to really do it accurately. So you have to have these same transects that you do every year to have a baseline. Yeah. And so yeah. if you start shifting transects then now you're just, you're ruining like your, your Correct. accuracy, right? Correct. So if you count the same transect every year, you know, and you have good production years, you're going to assume that you're going to pick up more production in those transects. Yeah. And so you have to be consistent on where you're doing these surveys. So, um, but the pintail numbers actually are up this year, so that's a good sign. On last hey, maybe, year, maybe last year we'll they get were down. to at some point. Here There's a go. rumor of uh, three <laughs> in a couple hey, years. Fingers so crossed. We'll see. But yeah, a lot of the data is pointing towards. Um, I mean, most people know with pintail that it's not a harvest issue; it's mm -hmm. a habitat issue, right? So yep. the the farming practices up in the prairie potholes of Canada have changed drastically over the last thirty to fifty years. And that's driven our pintail population numbers to be very low. And so um, a lot of the new data is suggesting that we could have a higher harvest on pintail and it's not going to affect the population. So That'd it's be all great. habitat driven. Um, currently, as far as I know, they're in the process of redoing the model on pintail. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm hoping 20, I think it was 2025, no, 24, 25. So not this season, but next Hopefully that model's been revised, yeah. and hopefully we see an increase in pintail harvest. So that we'll that would be awesome. One of the last questions I have for you guys, and I know we'll probably get it via the comments or via people listening. <laughs> you know, some people go out there, oh, I've been hunting thirty years, never shot a band, and you get some people out there that's like, oh, I've been hunting two years and shot five bands. I mean, I don't want to say what's the best way to shoot a band, but what what up somebody's odds? You know, I and luck. Luck, you know, <laughs> hunting in an area where a lot of them, I grew up hunting in the grasslands. grasslands and yeah. I mean, CWA is the only one in my knowledge who's really banded down there. And um, they hadn't banded down there since I was hunting. Um, and I hunted, gosh, I don't know, 10 or 11 seasons straight down there. No bands. My dad got one. Mm -hmm. And then uh, first season up here in the Sac Valley, I got a band. So, so, and, so, so lo location. I mean, I mean, we're doing our banding in the Upper Butte Basin for, for postseason. Like, you know, if, if if there's a hunter that's down in the grasslands and has been shooting teal for the last six years, he's yeah. he's got a lot less chance than somebody that's hunting, you know, even refuges in the Upper Butte Basin and, and is harvesting their pintail every day. They have a higher chance kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it. Uh, that That's to, like, species. Like, yep, species. mallards and wood ducks are banded a lot. 
teal or not, widget or not. Okay. So spoonies or not. Like it's just, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, we would never suggest targeting bands. Yeah. Um, that's bad for data, even though some people think it isn't. And anytime you're you're specifically targeting bands, you're skewing that data, and it, it just doesn't help our models or any of that. So yeah, definitely. I would stay away from that. But if you're, I mean, Band, it's like you said, it's all luck. Eventually, you will it, get. It's a numbers if you're, game. If you're it shooting a, a lot of birds, <laughs> eventually you will get one. Yep, just be yep. patient. I thought I thought I'd never get one after 13 years of hunting and seeing several of my buddies shoot bands right in front of me. I thought I'd never get one, and then I got one. It broke the ice, and I got at least one every season ever since. Yeah. So. All right, so we've definitely asked these guys a lot of questions about their background, their biology, you know, where they come from, conservation. Um, but if, if there's anything that you want to know as far as questions or anything that you want to ask these guys directly, leave it in the comments. Let us know. Message us directly, and we will get back with you. Thank you for tuning in this episode of Save It for the Blind podcast. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are found.